welcome to the Irish Left Archive podcast. In this episode we talk to Mickey Moran. Mickey is a member of Irigi and the party representative for the Midlands. He's been politically involved since his late teens, initially in activism in Limerick and Cork with animal rights, anti-war, anti-fascist and anti-globalisation campaigns. Moving to London in 2008 he was involved with the anti-fascist movement and then joined the revolutionary communist group. He subsequently joined Irigi and returned to Ireland where he's been active with the party since. We discussed Mickey's background and the left political scene in Limerick and Cork in the early 2000s, experiencing the European anti-fascist movement when playing gigs with a punk band in various countries, working with anti-fascists in London and countering the EDL, joining the Revolutionary Communist Group and what drew him to party organising, and joining Irigi and the politics and campaigns the party focuses on, and how republicanism informs his politics. This interview was recorded in November 2022. You find the Left Archive at leftarchive.ie. Um, if you have any feedback about the podcast or about the project generally, you can contact us at contact at leftarchive.ie by email. So thanks to Mickey for taking the time to talk to us, and thank you for listening. In terms of like how, how we got interested in politics and, yeah. and starting politics, I suppose, I think I was always kind of interested in 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 politics even even as a child um mm. my family background wouldn't have been particularly political like my would have been kind of fit and soft finnafall supporters at home mm. you know finnafall voters but not not hugely political but um my mom you said to me like I, I used to ask her about politics a lot when I was like reading history when it was in sixth class or whatever and you know people would be going oh my nanny hit guns for the IRA back this back that and I, was, I, I used to ask her going because she was from rural Roscommon right and uh, I said uh, did um, the granddad was he ever you know involved in any of this <laughs> politics back then and she goes Oh yeah, yeah. My dad, no, he would have been um, Finnegal, yeah, a big Finnegal supporter. And I was like, all right, bit disappointed. Okay, grand, grand. And uh, as I got a bit older and knew a bit more about him, that that just doesn't add up for me, you know, because there were very that small farm in Mm. in Roscommon, and there was like seven children in it, and my granddad actually lived and worked in England for. 11 months of the year as a carpenter, you know, right. on sites, and he used to be working and, you know, living in boarding houses and stuff. And I said, really, as I got a bit older, going, that really doesn't sound like the, the profile of your typical uh, Finnegal voter in the 1930s and 40s. So I remember asking one of my older aunties, now we'll be into her 80s, there quite recently, a few years ago, I was like, what was the crack with granddad being there? Uh, a Finnegal supporter, and she nearly spat out her tail. Like she goes, <laughs> "Are you joking?" Um. So no, no, he was involved in Clan and Clan Natalov. Oh. Um, going oh, and she says, "Oh, Mammy, he used to break Mammy's heart off on the bicycle, cycling twenty, thirty miles to these meetings around Roscommon and and East Galway." Wow. Um, every time he was home, he'd be off meeting at these meetings, and uh, yeah, yeah, so that was that was interesting. So maybe somewhere along the line, kind of more uh, kind of socially minded politics seeped into yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah. But I guess growing up, like probably typical of a lot of 
young people in Ireland, a kind of real nationalist kind of mm. um, yeah. Irish history at, at, at national school. Like, I, I was completely fascinated with it, you know. Yeah. Um, going into secondary school as well, always loved history, usually interested in history. Um, and, yeah, I suppose just kind of quite nationalist-minded, really, in terms mm. of, 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 of politics. Um, and that would have stayed with me for quite quite a while. I even remember there was a few of us got in trouble in secondary school. We were sticking up posters, uh, urging people to not to vote against the Good Friday Agreement at the time. Really? Uh, yeah. No, in saying that, like I was never was involved in in Republican politics at mm. the time. Uh, it's at Lone. It's it's a garrison town. It's kind of it's even now there's a small enough Sinn Fein where there's two come ons, but they're two they're, they're both quite small, you know. Mm. It's never really prevalent. You'd never come across a paper seller or anyone selling lilies in the town, you know. Right. Most of the lads I went to school with, their dads would have been in the army or Right. Yeah. And those of them when we finished school joined the army as well. Like so there's yeah. a real kind of garrison town in that regards. But uh, yeah, so I never never really seemed to have the opportunity to, you know, explore it in the more kind of formal sense. Mm. But I guess then around my kind of later teenage years, I would have got really big into the punk music, you know, and kind of, I suppose, very quickly kind of took on a lot of the, the politics I was hearing from from, from that, like, uh, you know, uh, anti-globalization, mm. anti-fascism, anti-racism, vegetarianism, animal rights was probably my first step into actual uh, anything in the way of real world politics, you know? Yeah. And I'd uh, still be a vegetarian today, like, and um, would still kind of hold a lot of them formative kind of ideas mm. about world international politics quite quite closely. I think it's kind of inform my trajectory throughout uh, yeah. my uh, kind of political development over the years, you know. That's interesting. And did did you have a sense like that there, like obviously there was a sense of nationalism to begin with almost, or a nascent sense of nationalism. Did you have a sense of internationalism then entering into the picture? I mean, and anti-imperialism, or was that refined later, would you say? <laughs> later, later. Internationalism yeah. uh, definitely uh, just through I suppose, listening to music and these ideas, mm. struggles around the world, certainly internationalism, but not anti-imperialism as such in, mm. in the kind of developed sense, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, with that, and would you say class politics came into it? I mean, obviously, like punk tending, well, at least, well, somewhat towards anar- anarchism more than... Yeah, yeah, or, or to, to an extent. Probably yeah. not initially when I was quite young. Mm. Uh, like, you first started but obviously over time it, mm. it, it did so I would have moved to Limerick in the late 90s right. uh, ostensibly to go to college but uh, that didn't last long um, okay yeah at the time I was, still, I was working and going to college there uh, and at the time it was like kind of middle of the Celtic tiger or maybe kind of mm. Toward, towards the start of it, but I remember I was working on a building site at the weekend and getting, like, I think it was £22 an hour as a like 
17, 18 year old, it was just like ludicrous yeah. money, you know? Yeah. And I started thinking, geez, this money, this money crack isn't too bad. Sure, I'll pack in the college and stick working on, <laughs> on sites and working on jobs. And uh, yeah, so that's, um, that kind of was the beginning and end of my career in, in, in further education yeah. anyway. So just soon kind of working sites, odd jobs, kitchens, factory mm. work, whatever. I didn't really have a much of a plan of what I was doing down there, you know. Mm. But it would have been around that time, I suppose, I came, I guess the, the, the anti-globalization movement started mm. becoming very much the fore, Seattle, um, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was kind of, it was before Genoa, but uh, just around that time, there was a few social movements popping up uh, around that time in Limerick as well. There was kind of the, the, the group that went on that would have been kind of went on to become the, the Gluestock movement, right. uh, kind of involved in a few things around Limerick City. I suppose that's where I would have come across. Um, maybe not anarchism there as such. I probably would have self-defined as an anarchist from listening yeah. to punk records or whatever, but I don't think I had met any anarchists at that point. <laughs> yeah. no. um, but yeah, there was a, a few things going on at the time. There was a big bridge being being built in at the University of Limerick hmm. being a, a kind of pedestrian bridge and there was a small local campaign going on uh, the region the little area there was called Plassey you know right. that was kind of uh, local fishermen involved local environmentalists and, and local students from the university who would have been uh, just getting organised again around the time of the anti-globalization, anti-capitalist mm. kind of movement kicking off. So there's a good few protests around that. Mm. Um, got to know a few people there. Um, one of the people who would have been a, a student union president at that time would have been the the other owner, Brain. Oh, uh, right. I think yeah, the yeah. councillor out in Rackdown yeah. now, maybe? Or... Yeah. But at the time, he was, yeah, he, he would have been the student union president in, in, in UL, and there was a few right. people around him. And, uh, yeah, just kind of getting involved in the various local protests. Then around that time, there was, if I remember correctly, the WSM were involved in this grassroots gathering. Mm. That was an attempt to kind of pull together all these various local um, anti-globalization groups and local environmental mm. groups, etc., so they they had a few meetings in the teachers club in Dublin that I would have attended, right. um, and kind of I never I never joined the WSM, and right. there was never other WSM people in Limerick. But I I used to distribute the paper in Limerick that send it down to me okay. every month, and I drop it into the local kind of record shops and cafes and stuff. Was there a reason you didn't join, or was it just? I'm not sure why I never joined. I suppose. You know, you were kind of pre-internet times there, just about mobile phones, maybe. So, yeah. um, I, I don't know. I guess it didn't seem like much of a point to getting involved when there was there was no one else in the mm. in the area or that I knew of. And to be honest, I probably wasn't. You know, I liked kind of talking about politics or whatever. I'm not sure I was kind of disciplined enough for. Yeah, heading yeah. down and getting, you know, right. putting in any amount of hard work. But I certainly used to distribute their paper. Yeah. Would there have been a, 
very visible presence from kind of other parties, but you weren't interested or were they not as visible? It was more of a campaign-based kind of milieu? Or... At the time in Limerick, it was, yeah, the I don't remember much being around. The Socialist Party always had a small presence oh, yeah, in Limerick. Yeah. And I actually ended up being, being very good friends with their organiser there at the time. Mm. Uh, similar interest in music and GAA. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but other than them, they were the only ones you'd see in the street. RSF were quite oh, big and active yeah. in, in Limerick at the time, more so than Sinn Féin, mm. uh, in terms of seeing paper sellers on the street and, you know, having stalls and stuff like that. Um, That's but, interesting. Yeah, again, probably, yeah, the, nothing hugely visible at that time. Yeah. Um, so after maybe two years in Limerick, I moved down to Cork for about a year. Mm. Went down to Cork to do a FOSS course right. in, in sign make. And Cork was like just a complete different world from Limerick because there was meetings going on every night of the week. Right. It was every sort of group under the sun were having meetings, and I was yeah. like, oh, "This is this is great!" Like, and I started kind of throwing my because I didn't really know as many people in Cork. I knew a few people from the punk scene, or whatever, yeah. but I just started kind of throwing myself into meetings and going along to to, to meetings. And I guess probably like at, around the time two thousand two thousand and one, maybe, mm. um, there was the big. Turkish death fasts going on in, yeah. in Turkey. I'm not, like I'm not sure if you remember them, but mm. the, hundreds of yeah. PKK and DHKPC prisoners on on hunger strike, and mm. you know they were dying. Um, you know daily. It was it was really horrific. Now I came across that because there was a Kurdish activist in in Cork at the time. I can't remember her name, but there was regular meetings and updates on it, mm. and. I think that was probably the beginning of opening my eyes into kind of more Marxist oriented politics and more kind of firmly anti-imperialist politics, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and got me thinking about, I suppose, what form of organization, etc. Is required for 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 revolutionary change, you know. Yeah. So I started thinking and reading more along them lines. I still didn't really join Ant, and I started looking at a few parties and reading about them a little bit. But it was just kind of yeah, very very uh, shy to commit to anything at yeah. that stage, you know. Um, but there was there was great like there was obviously a very good um, anarchist group in Cork at the time as well. The WSM had. Uh, some really decent people down there and there, there was constantly ongoing things happening like it, it was around the time of the big anti-war protests in, in Dublin as well like so there was oh, buses yeah. going up yeah. to them uh, there was also at the time happening the the old headache and sale um, stuff mm. I'm not sure if, if that would be on your radar there but it was uh the golf course that was built across the old Hedekin Sale and there was um, regular protests or mass uh, mass trespasses yeah. uh, organised. Kevin Doyle at the WSM do a sort of a children's book? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I was, remember... I was pro- um, propagandising my nephew with it. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. He did a great book on it. Yeah, yeah a kids book. But yeah, there was kind of every other week there was buses going out from the city that had mm. these mass tra- trespasses. Yeah. Um, and, and they were, yeah, they were quite empowering, really. I think in mm. in hindsight, I remember uh, got to know Ted Tynan a little bit. Uh, he would have been very oh, involved yeah. with that, and um, the time we we had uh, just set up a anti racist group in Cork as well, and he gave yeah. us the WP officers to to organise in. So oh, yeah, there was um, yeah huge huge amount of uh, stuff happening in, in in Cork at the time. But yeah, it was what did it they were trying to set up a kind of community uh venue or mm. social center or whatever one you mm. want to call it. So there was interesting conversation. What what went on to become the Cork Autonomous Zone or the CAS Club at yeah. the time when it first started, it was um there was a lot of it was quite broad. I remember Mick Barry, he was only a councillor at the time, was was involved in the initial meetings and yeah. uh Oh, uh, Kevin Doyle and James McBaron down there as well. Um, yeah, so it was pretty interesting time. I probably developed a lot politically in that time, just seeing lots of different things going on, seeing, you know, getting a view of lots of different organisations, some good, some bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess, I think it was while I was in Cork that Genoa happened as well. So there was all buses being organised Genoa. I didn't go. Um, mm. But yeah, it was it was all kind of felt really on the crest of a wave at the time, right, uh, the the anti globalization movement. So you went back to Limerick then for a while, is that right? Yeah, I moved back to Limerick for for work after I got the, the cert for sign making. Just just was working away in Limerick. Yeah, yeah. Kind of still begin to read more and more politics, more and more into kind of Marxism, mm. um, and I would have at at that stage kind of. Been helping out people in the Socialist Party a bit. Wouldn't have had much of time for their politics, but it's not as if there was mm. a million things happening in Limerick. So it helped mm. them, you know, at the car at the times. So it helped them transport stalls or yeah. get signs up or what have you. And similarly, around the same time, would have one or two friends in Sinn Féin that would occasionally help, you know, do a bit of leafleting for whatever. Yeah. Um, but again, not kind of explicitly joining or even having an interest in joining at the time you know yeah it sounds like it was quite yeah it sounds like quite a fluid kind of environment in a way you know like people almost happy with or not happy necessarily but you know like you you could be you could not necessarily be canvassing but leafleting for a number of different groups simultaneously or around the same time yeah interesting so it's not complete but as you say maybe that was down to the fact there weren't that many activists in Limerick in a sense. Well, this is it, you know. I know you had Brian Hanley on this uh, previously, and Brian was, uh, yeah, he's much more disciplined than me, who was the only swappy in the the city (laughs) and uh, stuck at it. Um, No, I guess I would have been still, you know, probably not 100% decided in in, in, in politics and uh, just... I'd like to think I'm still pretty non-sectarian in my views towards other groups. Like, obviously, yeah. you'd have disagreements and ideological disagreements, but, you're, you know, most people, you know, are, ju- are just, you know, slotting in yeah. and doing what they can when they can, you know Some what I mean? Yeah, you find, 
a lot of people in 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 organizations it's not like they have some like real die in the wall ideological you know loyalty towards a certain brand of trotskyism or something yeah. it was just the group that yeah. happened to be in their area at the time doing something you know and yeah. that's it's kind of a i think that effect know, is underestimated sometimes all right yeah would you have felt then or maybe that's an issue of scale that the, that's like the, it sounds like nobody was particularly trying to pressure you to join or, or get you to commit in that sense either which sounds quite positively kind of cooperative like yeah yeah well i think the people in the socialist party knew better because i was like <laughs> probably got to the point of of, of my uh communist reading that had become vehemently anti-Trotskyist ideologically anyway right. uh, okay. whatever about socially uh, certainly, <laughs> so I'd help them bring their posters into town but I wouldn't put them up um, <laughs> but that must have changed well sure we'll get to that anyway but I mean yeah yeah um, yeah yeah so I guess yeah just tipping away in Limerick there for a few years until Till the crash, really, in 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 twenty oh eight, right? And I was at the, you know, I was place I was working in. I had been getting pretty quiet for for a good while. I was kind of the, mm. there was two of us left working there when I was sixteen at one point, you know, and wow. like making signs. So by the end of it, what yeah. we were making was closing down signs, you know. Yeah. Um. So yeah. <laughs> you could kind of see the writing was on the wall. Yeah, we were kind of few months kind of hanging around doing nothing thinking geez what are we going to do you know and mm. just said like let's she, she had a sister in london so said, mm. let's, let's go over to london knew a few people in london kind of wow. from, from various avenues yeah. a bit from politics a bit from celtic away days and, and things like that so decided to go over anyway give, give it a go and you were, I mean, you were also making music at this point, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, up to that point, we, I, I suppose, them kind of interceding years in Limerick would have been playing mm. a lot of music. Yeah. Um, yeah. To, uh, playing, playing in punk bands. Did, it, did mm. a good bit of traveling around Europe, you know? Mm. Um, interested, like, real eye opener now in some of the places we would have played. Um, just seeing. Just again, kind of got me thinking just how organised the left war in places like Germany and 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 the re- very real threat from 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 fascists and the fascists. far right in these yeah. countries. Well, you know, yeah. Um, I, we played in Hungary. I can't remember what year it was, but just to give some context, it was um, like it was an oi gig, kind of skinhead mm. gig. We're all you know left wing, sharp, anti racist skinhead. Yeah. Big venue, it was great, but there was a uh, from inside the venue. Some someone came in. Goes, there's there's Nazis outside. Let's go get them. And uh, so we went outside. It was a group that were well went on to be Jobbik. They were right. kind of er, early incarnation of of, of Jobbik. And it was some guys dressed up in in like Nazi regalia, like not even skin, you know, jackboots and all. And they were going by in a yeah. like a three wheeler, like. Uh, Delvoy type car with speakers, kind of you know they, they were denouncing left wing violence or something like that. So of right. course the car got tipped over. 
three-wheeler. And uh, the, the people scarpered, but uh, it goes to show, like, it wasn't 10 years later, they were they were on the cusp of power in, in, in Hungary, you know, so it yeah. goes to show how, how quickly these movements grow. Would you go organise then at that stage? No, at that point, because we had just yeah. like moved, it was kind yeah. of kind of life was turned up upside down a bit, you know. Yeah, we yeah. hadn't previously, um, you know, we'd been fairly settled down myself and, and the missus, and uh, yeah, it was just like almost being thrown back into being teenagers again, where you're kind of living mm-hmm. in, uh, you know, house shares and. You know, working minimum wage jobs because, yeah. you know, like the situation was better there. But like even for my trade sign making over there, the, the money was nowhere near as good as I was expecting over here. You know, so mm. I just right. was picking up kind of random jobs in call centers and things like that, you know. Yeah, yeah. I guess one of the first political actions when I was in over in London would have been like I wouldn't known a few people from the punk scene and 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 like I said, Celtic, mm. general Celtic family or what have you with uh, from a, a fo- football away days or what have you, you know. Yeah. Um. So I got a phone call of some people who was kind of met a few weeks previously, but they knew people I knew, etc. And said, "Uh, we've been asked to steward an event out in Dagenham. Mm. Do, do you want to come along and?" Uh, Give us a hand. I was going, okay, what's what's this about? So at the time, it was in the previous council elections, the BNP mm. had won, I think, off the top of my head, eight seats in Dagenham Council. Yeah. Um, and there was like an anti-BNP meeting mm. as such that was meant to take place mm. in a theatre in Dagenham. Um, the theatre cancelled it for some reason, but they decided to have it outside it, you know. Um. And that they were looking for people to sort the event. Mm. Um, so got there, some of the Celtic lads I knew, some RMT people, um, was given an RMT high-vis vest. And I was like, <laughs> in the country about like, the union, two <laughs> months, and I was going in, in deepest, darkest, dagging them here, looking out, going, what, right, what do these fellas look like if they do rock up, you know? Yeah, yeah. Billy Bragg was meant to speak because it was... Uh, He's, you know, he's from Dagenham, mm. apparently. Uh, but he, he never showed up. I think he was going through his vote for the Lib Dems phase at the time. Um, so Stuart did the meeting anyway. That that went grand. Mm. There was no bother. There was uh, about 10 of us were fucking all fairly big lumps like. So mm. I wasn't too, uh, too concerned about anything happening. But mm. uh, somehow ended up in... I won't say a punch-up, but an argument with the SWP in, nice. in a pub afterwards. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. So, um, we, we were having a few points uh, afterwards, and uh, one of the, some of them came up to us and started having a go at us for, for macho posturing at the, oh, <laughs> at the table. Oh, okay. I was like, I've just been got a phone call this morning asked him <laughs> over here and uh, yeah and that 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 was the kind of scenario that repeated itself a few times down through the years really you know? yeah yeah okay yeah. right yeah um so that would have been yeah one of my one of my first uh kind of uh getting involved in in, in 
kind of any sort of political stuff in, in, in Britain. How would you say you linked into republicanism, how that angle de- develops over the... Yeah, so I, I suppose just to backtrack a little bit, yeah. when I was kind of, again, kind of looking at anti-imperialism and around mm. the time of them Turkish death strikes that were going on, started kind of, I guess, questioning a, a, a lot of my kind of, I suppose, hostility that you find within anarchism towards... Mm. Republican politics. Now, the WSM obviously weren't the worst, but just anarchism yeah. broadly against any sort of yeah. kind of national liberation movements. And I started mm. really kind of thinking deeply about this. And I guess, like, probably the way a lot of people arrive on the left would arrive, kind of going, geez, people are so quick to support, you know, the Zapatistas in. In Mexico or mm-hmm. or whatever, uh, you know, in Palestine and so on, it's it's, it's on our fucking doorstep here. We, we're living in a, a colony, an occupied country, like. Mm. And what what is it that's that's stopping kind of broad support for for the Republican movement here? And mm. obviously, kind of start analysing the the general kind of free state hegemony on 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 Republicanism. You know, just mm. uh, how stifling and uh, you know from section 31 etc just how the whole narrative of the 26 county state was built you know around fundamentally you know counter-revolutionary ideas and 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 to dampen any kind of real revolutionary potential Mm. of um of of the revolutionary period you know Mm. um so went back my kind of early days of of, of 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 nationalism and kind of looking at it from that perspective, more the class perspective, was mm. it just kind of going, geez, I wasn't that far off the mark when I was a young fella. Yeah. I was looking around the world at all these different ideologies and, uh, you know, yeah, and I suppose they were just, you know, popular at the time or whatever, but I think kind of, just fundamentally thinking that you know the the trajectory of Irish history, republicanism has been for two hundred and fifty years the core tenant of that. Mm. And you know, um, we kind of we can talk a bit about it later when we're talking about Irish like, but kind of the opinion that like republicanism mm. in in its entirety doesn't need any addendums. It doesn't yeah. need you know, clarifications of, you know, socialist republicanism or, mm. you know, I think as an ideology, republicanism stands in its own two feet. And, you know, since the Enlightenment, it's it's been one of the most progressive forces, biggest forces for progression mm. uh, across across the world, you know. So, so you, so by this stage, in a way, you'd be a convinced Republican as well. As, yeah, ab- yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, <laughs> And would you say it shaped your thinking as well in relation to party and the the the, the position of political parties in the context of making and encouraging and enabling political change? Because, like you know, coming from the anar- the anarchist mm. tending area to one where you're a republican, you're conscious of class politics, you're conscious of imperialism, you know, was it then that you began to say, well, maybe the party structure isn't going to it's not going to, you know, the non-party structures necessarily going to facilitate what are your political goals, really. 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think being probably both in Ireland and when 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 I would have went to London, mm-hmm. like at a lot of meetings where there would have been not exclusively anarchists, but a large anarchist contingent. Mm-hmm. You just saw how these meetings could go around in circles and circles and no action points being taken and the following meetings, action points not being followed through on. And it got me thinking that this this can't be the most economical way to organise, you know. Mm-hmm. I suppose at that time I would have been fairly well versed in kind of Marxist-Leninism and the Leninist conception of a party, etc. You know, and it just mm-hmm. kind of went, well, you know, if you want something done, this this kind of yeah. way of organising the party is, is probably the most efficient way of doing it, you know. Mm. Um, and, and to be honest, and the, the older I get looking back and it's like, you know, people have so many time pressures. You don't want to be having the conversation you had last week at the meeting this week, <laughs> you know. You want to make a decision and move yeah. and move on, you know. It's but, true. Uh, within yeah. anarchist circles, that seems, everything seemed open for rediscussion or revisiting every decision. Mm. And I found it fundamentally anti-democratic, um, mm. You know where you know that is. There was never you know around the whole consensus voting model that allowed like one person block a motion. It didn't mm. even need to be a majority, and it just mm. found it fundamentally anti-democratic. You know, mm. um, yeah. so but at that stage, I would have been convinced. Um, yeah, that that a party is absolutely the the, the you know necessary and and i should involve myself in one but i suppose by that time i was in england and uh you know so i would have started looking around for uh, parties at that point uh, mm. mentioned like would have been involved in some anti-fascist jordan and yeah. organizing at the time there was you know the growth of the edl at the time and we were yeah. um you know i was very involved in Organizing counter demonstrations, mm. traveling to counter demonstrations around the country. It was like every weekend. It was it was a hectic. It was really hectic pace of organizing. Yeah. Um, did we, Did you regard them as a serious threat? I think it. It's kind of a a difficult question. I'd say mm. broadly, yes. Not to me immediately mm. but certainly the areas that were organizing that were stoking up mm. Islamophobia and racial tension mm. while ostensibly very little ever happened at these demonstrations mm. it emboldened people in areas to be an increase in racist attacks yeah. you'd have lone wolf type people you know mm. attacking mosques attacking vulnerable people in areas so while you know, I wouldn't have considered that the, the, their strategy didn't, you know, they, they weren't a party, they weren't looking for votes, they weren't attempting to to build, you know, alternate power. Mm. They were just looking to march, essentially. And mm. that was probably their unsticking in the end, as much as anti-fascists did, is just they didn't have any strategy other than march and march and march. Yeah. And get, you know, busloads. So at the start, like they were getting 10,000 in demonstrations, you know, um, buses coming in from all over the country. And like at the time, in terms of organizing counter protests, all you could attempt to do is, you know, maybe have enough people to take their mm. rendezvous point or what have you. Mm. But 
all that would do was facilitate the police moving them somewhere else. So there was no right. real way of, of actually stopping the demonstrations, mm. but you could, you know, organise within the community, mm. organise kind of nationally to try make sure that they didn't have the day they planned on having, you know. Yeah. But as it went on, like, and it went on, I suppose it was a few years of it, like, you saw their numbers dwindling mm. and and pretty sure, like, you know, while anti-fascists can take some responsibility, I think the fact that they were just so heavily policed mm. that people would be travelling, let's say there was one in, in London from Newcastle, Sunderland, Mm. Manchester, Liverpool, driving down, and they, uh, you know, they're met by the police at a car park. They're all escorted to a single place. Listen, Tommy Robinson's giving the same speech for sixty minutes or so, and yeah. uh, they're they're all kind of escorted back to a bus. Like it's really, you know, I'd say the first few were great. Like you're there, you're drinking cans with all your yeah. mates, you're in your football kit. You know, roaring and shouting, whatever you want, with no one to tell you. You know, mm. hop on. Um, but you know, uh, uh, by the end of it, getting two or three hundred, it was the same, like real. Yeah, wasn't I? Wouldn't even call them hardcore, like the the let's say like the NF or BNP. It have hardcore. Mm. They were more saddos, really, who were just like this was their thing. You know, mm. traveling around the country, listening to the same. Because the mm. chances of it actually what what they wanted was you know a punch up with the the raids or a punch up with the Muslims, but there was no chance of that happening. They were so heavily policed, you know. I suppose it had me kind of politically thinking around this time, you know, we we were putting all this organising into you know organising against the EDL mm. arranging buses, you know, planning meetings, etc., mm. etc., and it's kind of going when you're spending all your time at reactive politics, mm. you're kind of, you're essentially putting their politics on the front page. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I, I guess this is, this, like, I wouldn't be the first person to think this, like in terms of, if you know, you read towards the end of anti-fascist action in Britain, like the, the red action produced that uh, fill in, fill in the vacuum document, mm. which talked about, okay, we, we proven we can beat the fascists off the street, but, mm. but for what to, to ask people to vote for Labour. Yeah. You know, that we need to be putting forward a working class alternative. Mm. You, you can't, it's, it's all well and good saying, don't support these, don't vote for these, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But what, what sort of alternative are we offering? And you'd find in going to anti-fascist circles in, in Britain that the likes of the SWP or even Labour would be more than happy to have Big lumps like us standing at the door, making sure their meeting is safe. Mm. They'd rather have us out there than inside, kind of Doing being politics. given given the platform, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was kind of copping on to this a little bit, you know. Mm. It's kind of going, oh, we get these phone calls now, we're going, oh, we're having this meeting and it's been threatened, and can you can you help mm. us? And it's like, never said, oh, we're having a meeting. Do you want to send a speaker to talk about X, Y, or Z? You know. Yeah. So yeah. I started. You know, I suppose getting a bit cynical, but also thinking, tis all well and good, you know, fighting the good fight as a war. But like, you know, if you're mm. not putting forward your own ideas, your own politics, and trying to give some people, like, particularly when you're talking about like the EDL, mm. you know, they fed off, disaffected, 
working class, mainly white, not exclusively in the EDL, but mainly white. Mm. And the Midlands, the North, you know, areas that were massively deindustrialized. And they were they were angry and like they were right to be angry. Mm. You know, they've been left behind mm. um by 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 neoliberalism and and uh, you know for 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 you know all the kind of living in London and you, you see such wealth in, in, in the city, but like you, you just need to travel around to places like Bolton or yeah. any of these places with Birmingham, even where we've been on these anti-EDL demos. Mm. Jesus, it's, you know, mm. really dilapidated and left behind Derby, places like this, you know. Mm. Um, so you can see why people had latch on to something that gave them a sense of pride and something mm. something to believe in, you know. Kind of going, you can't be saying the only alternative. This people, these people, is like because obviously the system in Britain is pretty much a two party system. Is uh, you know, vote Labour, mm-hmm. what Labour done for you, you know? Um, so I suppose at that point, I, I, I very much decided, all right, I need to need to start getting involved in hmm. more political campaigns, and it's kind of looking at a few organisations. But I think for me. The RCG was the one I, I I joined the Revolutionary Communist Group primarily because mm. to me they were the only organisation with a, a, a proper position on Ireland, a, right. a real anti-imperialist position on Ireland. Right. Like um, you know the while you know all the other parties like the SWP or even the Communist Party would have ostensibly supported Irish unity, they never mm. really supported the struggle. Mm. It would have supported like maybe the troops out movement, mm. but like the, the 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 slogan of the revolutionary communist group during the eighties and nineties was victory to the IRA. They, they said troops out is a you know that, that that's um, a, a liberal demand, you mm. know. Yeah. And um, so I I would have thought. Um, you know, and obviously the Irish question wasn't first and foremost in the in the mid noughties but I yeah. think for me that was you know kind of the 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 would be one of the primary things I would have been looking at is how any of these British communist parties or socialist parties related to Ireland. Yeah, and uh, for me, for me, the RCG ticked that box anyway. How did you find them, or did they find you? No, it would have been very much a case of me doing a bit of research online right. and reading about other parties, and right. I would have I would have bought their paper occasionally mm. anytime I I came across them. So I mm. um, would have been involved at the time, not majorly, but we had a prisoner support group in London at the time, the Irish Republican Prisoner Support Group, that was yeah. uh, various, like a few people from across different or- organizations and um, there was a few people that were like ex workers revolutionary party people mm. um was one or two kind of independent independent Maoists if that's even a thing <laughs> uh and there was some people from the RCT involved so I would always bought yeah. the paper anytime yeah. I was at a meeting you know and I always found right this is um this is a uh, definitely interesting you know I was mm. always you know, happy to see they'd have a you know really positive article on on Cuba that was wasn't with qualifications of going, mm. you know that you'd see in a lot of um, 
I suppose, Trotsky's papers. I, I would have bought papers regularly off anyone, mm. if, particularly if I was in their company and, you know, someone yeah. bangs out the paper. Because, like I said, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be sectarian in my politics. You yeah. know, I'd yeah. be always happy to read literature or see what other people are thinking. But, um, yeah, yeah the, the RCG one was always, uh, you know, something you'd actually enjoy reading rather than kind of yeah. getting... getting Hotter under the collar, reading something and getting into a blind rage by the time you're finished, you know. Um, so yeah, between that and Palestine, just their kind of analysis of British capitalism and imperialism. Mm. Yeah, I, I decided that, uh, yeah, I, I'd at least go meet them and have, have a chat, you know. Mm. Did you throw yourself into activity with them then? You kind of didn't have a choice, right? They were, okay. It was kind of laid out for you what was expected, you know, and they yeah. were like highly, highly ambitious, mm. disciplined, mm. and motivated organization. Mm. Um, so I was, yeah, yeah, it was like a branch meeting once a week, uh, paper sale once a week, and then, then one other activity be a protest or organizing mm. subgroups, then as well, where you might be involved in, like they had a a subgroup on, on Latin America and Cuba, right? A subgroup on kind of austerity, working on research on austerity, Palestinian subgroup working mm. on protests around Palestine. But, but they're, they're, the crux of any R, uh, RCG action was generally around exposing British links with imperialism. Mm. So kind of broadly speaking, I suppose, that the purpose of the RCG, like there was, I said they were highly dedicated and, and motivated that no there was no pretense of like you know the revolutions around the corner they were mm. a very small organization and i remember one of the women who, who would have recruited me thought she'd be well into her 70s and she's kind of going saying our, our greatest victory is probably the fact we're still here and we've grown from two man, men and a dog to three men and a dog <laughs> a bit of humor there it wasn't refreshingly awful. honest yeah yeah <laughs> But but their 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 kind of raison d'être as it were was mm. that the British workers' movement is absolutely tied to the Labour uh, Party in Britain. Mm. Labour Party is an imperialist party mm. with the bloody empire on its hands, and mm. until there is a wedge driven between the workers' movement and the Labour Party, there is no hope for Social British. Uh, revolution or socialism in Britain. Yeah. So they would have seen their role as very clearly to expose the links between labour and, and imperialism. Right. Um, yeah. So in, in that regard, it was, you know, it was very, you know, there was there was a clear strategy there that mm. you were working towards. Now, at broad front meetings, you probably ended up sounding like a crank where you're kind of going, oh, here's this guy again. Making the points about labour, the labour council just after speaking, you know, mm. before you're gone, you know. Mm. So I, I can see why there's probably a bit of a reputation for crankiness. But for right. for me, like, you get over that fairly quickly, like, mm. you know. And, uh, and you think it finessed your politics in a way or it sharpened it up or? It was probably, probably about where I was at politically yeah. at that time. Yeah. You know, Uh at the time, I didn't, I didn't see myself moving back to Ireland anytime soon, and this mm. seemed to be the, the, you know, the vehicle I should mm. involve myself for, and in, you know, organising within my own community and organising 
broadly uh, across broad front stuff in Britain, you know. And mm. um, so, like, the, the I was in the North London branch at the time. It was small mm. enough. It was probably ten people in the branch or what have you. But you mm. know, given the size of North London, that's that's pretty small. But mm. um, it's not bad though. Yeah, yeah. Our our campaign we did. It, it, there was other. Our our branch was kind of older. We were all like there was no one under thirty in the branch, so right. our campaigns were a little bit kind of flat or not as exciting as it was a real young group in South London. They were doing occupations and right, direct yeah, actions yeah. all the time. Yeah. We we had a a campaign about services in the local hospital, um, and oh. you know it, it you know it it it's class politics, <laughs> community organising. It's not hugely exciting, but yeah. you know I'm one of the probably few people you'd ever speak to. I actually really enjoyed selling the paper. Right. As yeah, you can probably tell, I, I, I love an old yapping yarn. Yeah, yeah. You'd, you'd come across, uh, yeah. you'd start getting your regulars, you know, yeah. on a Saturday morning. You'd have a few people who'd always stop for a chat. Oh, yeah. and I, I, I love that, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, I love, like, the paper for, for the RCG, Fight Racism, Fight Imperialism. Mm. Exclamation mark! Exclamation mark! <laughs> like it's in your face. Like you know, you're you're oh, you're, yeah. you're not. You know, it, it it's purposely confrontational in a lot of ways. You know, mm. but in saying that, had very few arguments and the paper installed. Yeah. Um. Funny story. Now it was, and we we used to sell on the Holloway Road, and in Archway, just outside the tube session, mm-hmm. Archway. And we'd have a, a, a petition yeah. about the local hospital and services. But I was selling on the, the the Holloway Road, actually. We had to get down there early because the SWP liked the same spot we did. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get down there early. So we get, they, they weren't as dedicated as us. They'd be there every <laughs> three weeks. We'd be there every week. Like, <laughs> uh, I was selling it there and there was, uh, you know, I just said, uh, chatting away at the locals anyway there's a fella coming down the road and uh, rastafarian lad like the dreadlocks or have you and he was speaking to uh the family like i don't know whether they're jamaican or african but a woman and her kids talking away in patwa you know mm. and uh he was just giving the spiel about how, how's it going do you want to buy the paper and he turned around to me and he says in the flattest that lawn accent kind of going, are you from that lawn <laughs> to me he goes, I am, yeah. Are you from that loan? And he goes, I am, yeah, yeah, I'm from that loan. Kind of, you, you don't look like you're from that loan, to be honest. And uh, the people who were with him said, and him go, I thought you were from Jamaica. And he said, ah, well, you know, shit happens. So I got chatting to this fella for about an hour. He was really? like, uh, yeah, yeah, he was uh, about 50. Mm. Born in one of the council estates in town here, was in the army, moved to London in the 90s, living the life wow. we were asked to bury. And now, yeah, very used to him, random and mad. Like, That's but, uh, brilliant. I, and I bumped into him once or twice in that long sense, really. Well, yeah, yeah. There's not too wow. many uh, Rastafarians going around that lawn. Like, well, so I guess there's that, yeah. He's usually back at Christmas, it's him in one of the pubs or something. That's yeah, that, that's pretty brilliant. random. Yeah. Yeah. Did you buy the paper? Oh, he did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> success result. He, he, after that, he wasn't gone without it. Like <laughs> not <laughs> for an hour anyway. Yeah. 
<laughs> you're also involved in the Focus E15 campaign. That sounds amazing. And yeah, really that that was substantial and and worth God worth the price of admission to the RCG kind of. Yeah, know. absolutely. In, in in kind of hindsight, it was one of the most in, inspiring campaigns I was mm. I was ever involved in. Now, the E15 Focus E15 E15 was the, the postcode, so it was out in East London. So we were like North London branch. We'd usually do our paper sale on a Saturday morning and not every week, but we'd usually volunteer two or three of us to go over to East London to, to assist with their stall about this, this campaign. So the campaign just to kind of give it a back bit of background. How we came across it was there was, um, uh, we had kind of similar to what we were doing in North London and East London stall as well. We, selling the paper and just uh do you know uh, I, I can't even remember what their local campaign was around there some facilities closing mm. or something wasn't that exciting anyway um but they came across some young women like teenagers mm. who were out with a petition trying to get signatures because the hostel they were living in was closing so they were living in this hostel called focus was the name of the hostel and it was for young single mothers, teenagers, where they were kind of living in, I suppose it was um, cared for accommodation, so they had their own kind of room and mm. uh, I suppose, for want of a better word, a bed sit, but there was also full-time staff within it to give, give people support. So they were primarily, mm. you know, vulnerable women who'd been kicked out of home, et cetera, et cetera. But they, they were starting a campaign um, just trying to get signatures not to close the hostel down. Um, on the street, and 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 they happened to bump into our comrades and who who were doing our petition, and they said, "What? Well, why don't you set up beside us? And we have a megaphone here, and you can talk into the megaphone." Mm. And that was one thing about the RCG; they always really put a great emphasis on on free speech and the right for anyone to come mm. and and say what they wanted at any meeting, and not not to be having curated meetings or, yeah. or, or kind of stacked meetings where, you know, you know, certain people are speaking from the floor. Like it and for yeah. a small organization, which which we were small, was kind of it was imperative to to maintain any voice that you don't allow yourself to be shut out yeah, by, yeah. you know, stacking meetings or stacking speakers. And equally when we were having a meeting we'd always or even a street stall allow mm. people out there say whether you agreed with it or not. Mm. At least, you know, you can counteract if someone comes and says something racist or something. You you can counteract it. But at least, you know, if you try to shut people's talk down, like, you know, um, it'll, mm. uh, you know, you're, you're kind of cutting off your nose to spite your face, particularly when you're trying to build in communities. Like, you're not willing to take on the opinions of the people and yeah. genuinely listen to the people in the area. You're, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree. Yeah. But um yeah, so so these these women girls uh, set up their stall on the microphone and, and, and it kind of exploded from that, it really exploded because through we kind of helped them get a bit of media attention, wrote a few articles in the paper about them mm. uh, and about their plight and it's other groups got involved, it wasn't exclusively the RCG by any manner of means, but um mm. Think we were kind of there from the start to the end of that campaign. Yeah. The campaign blew up hugely, um, to the point that there was like loads and loads of direct actions. There was so the when they were talking about closing down the uh, the the hostel, 
this was around the time just after the Olympics in mm. which happened in Stratford. This was Stratford as well. So there was this massive influx of money in the area, wow. loads of new developments. And all of a sudden, kind of working class people had become mm. almost a bit of a nuisance in the spaces they were taking up. Mm. Yeah. Um, and this was kind of repeated across East London at the time. Um, yeah. And for us in the RCG, it was like, at pains to point out this was this was a Labour borough as well. There was a Labour council and Labour mayor, and they were mm. overseeing this um, what they called at the time decanting the area. Um, so they had offered these women going, oh, it's great, you can get a we have a lovely house for your whole house for yourself. It's in Manchester, and or it's in you know Birmingham. So they were like the Saudis as a really easy target, vulnerable people, most of them without support networks in the area. Mm. But what they had built was like amazing camaraderie and solidarity between each other. Mm. And once through our assistance, although I, again, I pains to point out mm. not exclusively us, yeah, yeah. Uh, were able to kind of mobilize the community around us when we started talking to people on the street and explaining what was happening. People couldn't believe it. The, you know, it, it mounted into direct actions. There was an occupation of the council office where we set up a crash for the day in the lobby of the uh, council office. Brilliant. So had like hired children's entertainers, like clowns, etc., magician, just all rocked up the the mothers with their kids and just set up a crash there for the day, and. Um, you know, people, the staff there pulling their hair out, calling police, security, begging us to leave. So, like, fantastic. Like, just really innovative and kind of actions outside your usual, typical kind of lefty protest. Hired a double-decker open-top bus and drove around the the uh, the town, like the borough, mm. throwing out flyers, explaining what was happening, you know, and... And it got more and more momentum and it became not just about the women. And the women were very clear that it, it's no longer just about us. This is about what's happening. The working class people born and bred in this area that are being pushed out because Olympics. the houses they live in are, are so valuable hmm. in terms of real estate hmm. that they just want them gone. Like To give an example there, we had a few comrades who were living in... Uh, a tower called Balfron Tower in, in Poplar, which was just a little further out in East London. And mm. like Balfron Tower was uh, designed by Emo Goldfinger, like this socialist architect from the 60s. It's mm. like 26 stories high, mm. huge apartments. It was designed to have free heating by huge boilers down in, in the basement, but it was mm. designed with you know, hollow walls going through with that heat rising up, like really economic, uh, economical mm. kind of mm. pinnacle of kind of socialist, brutalist uh, architecture from the 60s, really yeah, beautiful. Yeah. But like these flats were huge, way too big to be given to the, you know, council uh, families on lists. You know, these could be artists or designers, studios, etc., yeah. etc. Et so they, again, that's where I first heard the phrase decanting where people got decanting letters and we're decanting this block. Um, we, you know, we're arranging housing for you 20, 30 miles away outside the greater London region. So 
So that just kind of give you a taste mm. of what was happening around London at the time. So uh, particularly East London, you know. Mm. Um, so we started having meetings in this little pub called the Carpenter's Arms that was in a very small council estate called the Carpenter's Estate. And locals started coming to the meetings and hearing more. And they had been all given eviction notices and told, you know, not immediately, but we're going relocating the um half the estate where people left it was it was boarded up. They they weren't replacing people in the houses. So this became the kind of focus of the campaign then is uh, mm. the demand became repopulate the carpenter's estate. Um and what that involved we did an occupation of two two uh two semi detached buildings within the estate. Mm. And the first one we got all tradespeople who were living in the state got involved in this. We renovated it, did it up as a, a brand new house to show Brilliant. what good quality these houses. Like we had plumbers from the estate, yeah. chippies, sparks, set it all up. We got professional photographer in. We made uh, like a, an estate agent's prospectus mm. of the of the um, the premises. And sent it out to the media and had a had a kind of open day. We invited the media to come see that this yeah. new new house in the market. The, the house on the other side was then occupied or squatted, whichever mm. you prefer. Um, which was went on for a number of weeks. It's like a massive, massive uh, kind of media support nationally. Mm. Had Russell Brand down there a few times before he went off the rails on his conspiracy theories and <laughs> was kind of genuinely a celebrity at the time. He was still in movies and that. Yeah. Uh, so he was down there regularly. There was other people like that, Channel 4. It, it was just fantastic. But uh, around the time of that occupation, in the middle of the night, council workers came down and all the other boarded up houses, they took a sledgehammer to them smashed up all the bathrooms, smashed up the kitchens, left water on. And we're kind of going, you know, obviously then they come for an inspection, go, oh, these these aren't habitable, right? The guys found the one one that was actually habitable. These are unsafe. They need to be knocked and rebuilt. This kind of shenanigans going on. So at the time, kind of multiple occupations and direct actions on mm-hmm. and court cases and trying to hold uh, the council to 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 account on this. So a labour council. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll never forget the, the the mayor's name. Robin Wales was his name. So mm. tried to blockade him coming out of a council meeting one night. You know, with the mm. you know the usual crack with placards and yeah. uh, megaphones or whatever, and he ploughed down uh, one of the protesters. Just drove into them. Now didn't knock him down, but they were up in the bonnet and travelled for you know, 20 metres on it. like So he, he was a real arrogant prick, to be honest now. And uh, yeah, it just, I suppose politically for us, highlighted, you know, that, that the Labour Party are, don't represent anything truly progressive and that mm. kind of community self-organising is, is, is the only way to have a voice. Mm. Um, so again, hugely, hugely inspiring. So... Mm. Yeah, um, so the campaign broadened out and it was still going strong up to the point I, I left Britain. It, it kind of broadened out. Yeah. One of the women 
or the original women uh, joined the RCG for, for a brief period anyway, mm. maybe a year or two. Mm. And she 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 went on one of the brigades to Cuba, spoke wow. spoke about her organizing experience in Cuba, which yeah. I guess even though she, you know, uh, did, didn't did stick with the organization in the end. It's, uh, hugely from starting signing a position on the street to speaking to a meeting of uh, communists in Cuba, like it's yeah, yeah. In the space of probably 18 years, 20 or 18 yeah. months, 24 months, you know, yeah. hugely inspiring. And I remember chatting to her uh, at, at the time and it was like, kind of going like, what, what gave you the idea to go out and get a petition on the street? Because like, mm quite young and you need to be like have some bit of political savvy to go we need to, to build some popular support and mm. ironically enough she said oh uh, when I was at school one of um, one of my teachers he was, he was in Socialist Workers Party and he I remember him teaching us about petitions and, and demanding your rights and don't let anyone take your rights from you so wow. it's kind of goes to show how any little spark in yeah. you know you can you can light a prairie fire as, as the yeah. As the phrase goes, but uh, yeah, no, just hugely inspiring movement. There was there was similar occupations up around North London. There was one uh, called Sweets Way, very similar situation. Mm. Didn't really take off. There was kind of a lot more sectarianism mm. uh, around the organisation of, of of the occupation with uh, anarchists going kind of taking the hold and saying, "Oh, we don't," you know. Or she, they're authoritarian, they're Stalinist, etc., etc. They shouldn't be, and it was kind of even though we did have some base in the community, mm. uh, and myself personally would have known a few kind of Irish families in the area that um, it never took off. No, and it goes to show how kind of sectarianism mm. on Broadfront stuff can, can just it can kill, kill something, something dead. Because any normal person, any community member comes and hears bickering like that. So you came back to Ireland then, like that was around 2016. It's quite a jump then to Aragi, isn't it? It it is. I actually technically joined Aragi while still in London. So around the time my son was born, we Mm. kind of started thinking, look, we we need to make a decision here. Are we going to stay living in London? And if we are, it probably means moving out, mm. you know, Reading or Slough or some pretty shitty area we don't want it, but can, we couldn't afford to mm. even dream of buying a place in London. And yeah. you know, every every few few months your rent's gone up anyway, yeah. you know, and we're kind of conscious of, you know, extra amount to feed and thinking about schools and all that, you want to be yeah. somewhat settled. So we kind of made the decision to to, to move back to Ireland around that point there's um I kind of saying it's talking to my good comrade who who, who who kind of brought me into the RCG is Anne Yaffe she's actually David Yaffe's wife oh, right. um, had a chat with her and said look I'm thinking mm-hmm. of moving back and I'm thinking at this point I would have had a few friends who had joined Irigi in the meantime so mm-hmm. Like Irigi was founded in 2006 and I mm-hmm. uh, kind of interest when I saw, you know, the, when it was founded and I thought, is that, that might be for me. But at the time, again, living rurally in Limerick and mm-hmm. just then when I moved, it just, yeah, 
I, I kind of been looking with interest and kind of would have, I, I suppose, if there was a group I would have supported in Ireland at that point, it would have been Nairagi. But around 2015, hmm. when I decided to move back, as I, I said to Anne, I was like, look, I want to see if I can do a bit for the party from here. I know, you know, within the Irish community and, and, and broadly, hmm. much smaller, but kind of Republican community, I think I could set something up and leave a bit of an infrastructure behind if before I go back. And she she was always a huge supporter of republicanism and the Irish cause and yeah. um as was everyone in the RCG. Like in, in fact mm. just to digress a little bit, uh, David Yaffe's book is under the title David uh, Reed but uh, Ireland the key to the British Revolution is mm. fantastic read that I would have read before I knew that Right. The RCG people, um, so so they would have been kind of hugely understanding of you know yeah. my reasoning for wanting to leave and and, and kind of get yeah get something else set up. So we would have set up Clan Irigi in in Britain at the time in London. We had right. a kind of small small again small circle there, but any of the Republican, or, particularly like even Sinn Fein at the time, didn't they? They seemed to have quite a network there now, and they mm. obviously did in the past. The time that one or two people, you know. Yeah. There was a small RSF branch. Uh, well, small, they were, they were actually fairly big, out of all the Republican groups in, in mm. North London. And and we had a, a small little organisation of, of mm. four or five people. So we, we had one or two meetings. Yeah. I think I sent that meeting, I sent John. Yeah, to, we should go up in the archive. Uh, Fantastic. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so in Wilson Trades Hall there. So we had a, Really good little meeting there, and kind of attended a few protests as Irigi and a few mm. demonstrations as Irigi in Britain. Mm. And yeah, I, I moved back in kind of early 2016 then. So right. I kind of slotted into the organization a bit when I moved back, you know. Did you find a big difference with the RCG, or was it kind of like somewhere that felt very much well, a place with familiar politics, so to speak? Yeah, yeah, I think it, it it wasn't a million miles away. Um, probably, and I, I think this is broadly true, republicanism in general, mm. probably not as into minute-taking and kind of, mm. you know, meetings every week and, and that type of thing. It was much more kind of monthly meetings and, yeah. you know... Um, Kind of more in, in, informal meetings where where actions were decided. You know, the RCG would have been very, even though the Warren Trotsky is probably coming. The, the, their origins are within the international socialists. So even though they evolved away from Trotskyism, yeah. their kind of modus operandi would be very similar in terms of internal structures mm. to Trotsky's organizations with with the setup of you know executive committee, political yeah. committee. Yeah. Etc. Et you know. Yeah. Um. So I really well. It, it obviously has a lot of them formal structures as well. It wasn't as, you know, meeting once a week. And obviously, you know, moving that loan from mm. like a population of nine million in in London, where you know mm. people are much more spread out. So we we at the time, even though they, they, they've immigrated now, the few people who are involved, we had a, a small group in Longford, so I used to travel over Longford uh, regularly, Longford Town, we'd have yeah. stalls there and be, be leafleting estates and kind of canvassing in estates. And yeah. There was kind of a, a, a moderate amount of support because this was 
off the back of the water movement, the water movement mm. kind of finished by the time I had moved back, but there was still kind of a bit of brand recognition on the doorstep, certainly in, in Longford, where we had some kind of very solid members. And would you get a good response? Broadly speaking, yeah, well, look, when you're talking to people on doors, people, you know, yeah, it's an easy enough one where, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of talking to people about how, how shit things are, you know, yeah. who, doesn't, who doesn't like talking about that, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, broadly on, on the door. So it's a different yeah. story. Like we, we, we ne- never ran a candidate in, in the area at that time. Mm. So we're just talking about local issues, except, yeah. Yeah. you know, like in Longford, you know, antisocial behaviour was a big one. Mm. Um, you know, like Longford, like a lot of these states, there like mm. massive, massive estates and completely abandoned in terms of services, etc. So, a lot of you know, really deprived areas, even compared to Athlone. The mm. like Athlone, there's 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 plenty of estates, but there's none as sprawling with as little services as you find in Longford. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. So that was kind of. The first year or so, anyway, mm. organising in, in in Longford a bit. We had a mm. when when Fidel died, we had a, a black flag vigil at centre of Longford, which wow. I'd say is a first and a last. <laughs> um, I think there was six. Well, there's another Castro as well, you know. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I'd say we got some funny looks by the passers-by of uh, yeah. Longford on a on a Sunday afternoon, but. In relation to Arigi, like it started out in some sense, like this is looking in from the outside, it seemed to me to start out in some sense almost as a campaigning group. And you've been so strong on campaigns and so active in relation to them. But obviously it's become, a, it is a party It's mm. uh, and, and it organises as such. And so like, and I guess unlike the RCG, it also will contest elections. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the RCG, I think there were some elections contested at some point in the 70s. But 79 was it? said it didn't go too Red well. But yeah, for, for Irigi, like uh, our organisation is, is completely around campaigns. Yeah. You know, and I think like one of the real feathers in our bow is we never do anything half arse. Like you can mm-hmm. see from any of our campaigns the amount of research that goes into them, the amount of internal meetings and presentations and decisions to be made to arrive at a a campaign. um, Mm. It is huge. It's massive, a huge kind of job of working and getting to the point of of, of having campaigns that are absolutely watertight. Mm. I think, broadly speaking, we rail against the idea of hopping from what's in the news cycle one week to the next, we're not into, you know, hot topics. Mm. We've identified four, maybe five issues that for us kind of explain at their very core the contradictions within capitalism and, and Irish capitalism and, and 26 county capitalism particularly. Yeah. Um cronyism, etc. And then the, the, them campaigns are on housing. Obviously, on our, our recent Power to the People campaign, yeah. on the, the the language, which is very important in in the party mm. as well, mm. um, and, and and on on the New Republic as well, which is our campaign around 
mm. reunification. So, um, yeah, for us, like the campaigns are absolutely central. And mm. in recent years, anyone who's joined us has it's one of the primary reasons they've said they've joined us. That we've obviously been looking across groups and the left, but you know, it seems to be one thing one week or one thing another week with a lot of groups. Mm. You seem to be sticking with the same message for for years. Yeah. Now, you you could argue that, you know, okay, sticking with the one message for years and you're still kind of a very marginal force on, on the left, mm. you know, it, 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 should you not be jumping from topic to topic or trying to insert your narrative into every discussion going? Mm. Um, and we probably should be doing a little bit of that, but for us, fundamentally, like, you don't talk about revolutionary change in the space of months or years. like, mm. And I think... No, our party is over overwhelmingly a working class party. Mm. I don't think you can aim to recruit and build a working class communities without people seeing that you're willing to put the time into a campaign that you're not willing to, you know, mm. see, you know, throw out kites and see, you know, does this float, does that float, that you're willing to put in the work, even when it's not the popular thing to do, you know. Mm. Um and over over the years, we've been proved right in so many things, like our Power to the People campaign at the moment. Like, we started that and kind of having the discussions around that in, in 2018. Mm. And we launched it in 2019 because we saw, like, coming down the road, there is going to be a massive energy security issue for Ireland mm. when we knew there was this renewable revolution kind of on the cusp of happening, still on the cusp, it's not quite there yet. Obviously, a lot of the technologies haven't developed fully yet, but certainly in terms of offshore wind, we could see the pattern and the modus operandi of the, the Dublin government for successive years of, of what happens with natural resources in this country, you know? Mm. Um, and obviously, like, before my time in the organisation, but I really cut its teeth around the, the Shelter Sea campaign. And yeah. we we understood fundamentally at that time, once, the, you know, the, this is more important than just this area and this particular uh, gas reserve. Mm. This is implications for how Ireland, particularly the 26 counties in, in, in this scenario, mm. um, deals with its natural resources. So we could see back in 2018 exactly what was going to happen with renewables and potentially tidal and potentially solar and potentially hydro uh, is is that it's, it's, it's just going to be 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 handed over to 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 multinationals and, and large corporations and big energy so from that perspective we think you know we were plugging away at that 2019 and people are, mm. are they on about but yeah. You know, we, we could see it coming. Obviously, we're not going to pretend we could predict the yeah. invasion of uh, Ukraine or or, yeah. Or, yeah. or the COVID, but certainly we yeah. could see this. Maybe like maybe it would be 2020, maybe 2022, but we could see it was coming down, down the yeah. line. So yeah. I think our ability to kind of pinpoint what will be hot topics prior to them, uh, yeah. you know, coming into the mainstream consciousness, just to speak about universal public housing or, or, or up housing campaign, like we again, I think it was 2017, 2018, we launched that. Mm. Um, at the time, like 
all the parties on the left were talking about social and affordable, you know. Mm. Public housing wasn't really a discussion being had um, or even defining what public housing was. For us, mm. we were very clear. We had like co- costed out model of how this housing might work um, and how it would be a radical change for the 26 counties or, or Ireland as a whole. But not particularly radical in the grand scheme of things, as you know, using Vienna as an example. Yeah. That this isn't, you know, this isn't the mad socialist with the red flags. This is actually a very sensible way of 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 changing how housing can be done. Mm. Of course, you know, it depends who you're talking to. If you're talking to people on the street or talking outdoors, you explain how simple the idea is, mm. and you know, you get a hundred percent agreement. When you're talking to kind of politically developed people, you kind of understand that, you know, this is a tool for exposing the inherent contradictions within capitalism. Yeah. You know, we don't think, you know, Darrow O'Brien's going to pick up an uphousing leaf that can go, it's just, this actually isn't a bad idea. We might give it a whirl, you know. It's, it's to try, you know, facilitate mm-hmm. and push that understanding and anger that things are being done the way they are when there is a different way and, and in that campaign we also had our you know our vulture tracking map to mm-hmm. be you know the up housing for want of a better term was like the the nice phase of it yeah where we were kind of this is how it could be different because like you know you hear on the doors a lot as well people talking about parties that left going all oh, the, the no to everything crowd you know mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure yeah. you've heard it. Oh, oh yeah. no to everything, but what are they for? We wanted a very clear and positive and, you know, progressive and outward facing and, and kind of even imagery-wise, you know, uh, mm. positive uh, message that we have, you know, fully thought out and clearly costed alternative here yeah. on one hand. And this is how different it could be. But on the other hand, we had the, the Tractor Vultures project to make people angry about the giveaway yeah. of of Irish housing, you know, because yeah. you can't be, you know, thinking, oh, wouldn't an alternative be lovely is, isn't going to get you anywhere. <laughs> you, you need to, to build up a bit of steam in people as well, you know. I think um, it's worked. I think it's worked. Too, that as well. Yeah, well, I would say we've we've kind of bounced a lot of groups bigger and, and more in the mainstream than us onto the, the, uh, the terminology anyway, public mm. housing, whether they mean the same thing as we mean. Mm. But you don't hear anyone on the left talking about social and affordable anymore mm. where that was the mantra in 2019 you know and for us like affordable housing on public land is still selling off public land mm. you know yeah. you're putting it into private hands okay it's 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 going to be uh certainly um you know better going into to a working person's uh ownership than than a massive you know, vulture <laughs> fund, but it's still to transfer a commonly held public wealth in, in yeah, private hands. Yeah, yeah, and the, yeah, and the target of affordable is a. You can always move that as much as you want, can't you? Well, of course, yeah. It's, 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 it can be I anything. wonder if um, just when you're saying about like focusing quite a lot the resources you have on very particular campaigns and sticking with them, um, you know, and not and avoiding spreading yourself too thin and stuff. Does that create? an issue with membership at all in terms of how you organize or how you make those decisions considering when you are involved in a campaign it's you therefore have to be very committed does it prevent i don't know individuals who have their own sort of uh pet projects and things like that or 
does that work um, as an organization? Yeah, oh, it's a good question. I'd say, mm. like, the, the thing about the democratic structures within Irigi, like, obviously, Irigi was born out of kind of Sinn Fein or people who left Sinn Fein. And when we were setting up the structures within Irigi, people were very conscious of avoiding delegate systems or systems that can be circumnavigated towards the ends of the leadership. Um, something people who would have been in Sinn Féin would have experienced around a number of issues from the GFA onwards to policing, etc., etc. So we were very conscious to set up what we feel is more egalitarian democracy within the organisation. So in terms of membership input, like we have, you know, obviously the Ordeshes, as most parties have, would be our, our main kind of ultimate decision-making body of the party, but we kind of have, I suppose, be best described as mini Ordeshes like three times a year where we get all the membership together. We call them national membership meetings and the organisation works on one person, one vote. So it's not like, oh, the Limerick Kirkle have to decide what way they're voting on this. Mm -hmm. It's, um, you know, you, you your Kirkle organiser could be sitting beside you and you have a very different opinion. And and that can be can be raised, and I think that allows healthy and broad input into the party, yeah. um, in terms of decision making, and and in terms of pet campaigns, like there, there's always room. Like Kirkles have you know autonomy to 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 run their own stuff in their local area as well, which we do do in 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 multiple areas like one of the main focuses here in Athlone is actually very involved in running a pop-up Gaeltut mm-hmm. um which right. which happens weekly which is we've been doing it for three years here and it's growing up to like, get regularly 30 people on a on a Thursday night so right. you know we built a huge like the language being a very important aspect of I suppose mm-hmm. the reconquest of Ireland for for us and mm-hmm. um, building and attempting to build, you know, access to the language, if not small language communities within our areas is very important to us. And that's something we've mm. kind of focused a lot with in Athlone, you know, mm. um, putting energy into that. So, like, there's certainly room for local areas to organise um, ar- around issues. Like in Galway, for example, probably one of the groups where we have, few groups where we probably have 50 50 uh with women to men in in galway and mm. do a lot of stuff around gender-based violence and women's rights etc as well and mm. um, which you know it's obviously important on the national yeah. level yeah. um but equally that's that's one of the things they mm. do quite a bit of in, in galway they're quite linked in with the feminist network in galway etc so um mm. i'd say there's, there's plenty of scope in that regards and obviously like we're not a mass party for want of a better words. We mm. are a cater organization. So when people join, like, you know, there is a process they go through. It's not just sign them up and see what they're into. We yeah, yeah. kind of have a, a bit of a, a, a process of screening people. And yeah. again, not that we're interested in having like, you know, a hundred people who all think the exact same, but mm. very much, you know, some basics that you want people. Yeah. Of course. Fund- fundamentals you know in relation to the contemporary situation vis-a-vis united ireland and obviously i've never lived through a period where 
the potential possibility seems to be so plausible and feasible and realizable. Where are you where would you see yourselves as a a party? How would you orient yourself orient yourselves towards that? And what mm. would you see the role and function of Aragi would be in relation to that broader narrative and and mm. the fact that there seems to be increasing support? And I'm not talking about um, political support for another political party or anything like that. I'm just saying yeah, that yeah. the mood music, the background noise that were seems, and I'm sure you'd agree as well, like it just seems completely different to what it was 20 years ago or even 10 years ago. So I'm just yeah, curious like, yeah. how you feel about that and how you where you feel Aragi is positioned in relation to that. Yeah, and, absolutely. I guess... In terms of republicanism broadly mm. at the moment, like Irigi, and, and one of the reasons I suppose I joined at the time as well was like there was in the various groups that the left, the Sinn Fein, or Republican groups that have emerged from Sinn Fein since they've kind of been very much within the kind of provisional tradition as mm. such. And I think Irigi hark back and embrace a much older tradition of republicanism than just the long war and, and Brits out, mm. even though, you know, Brits out and the long war <laughs> was, of course, like at the final moment in, in, in Irish history for, you know, probably two centuries. But, um, you know, the, the republicanism as an ideology is, is is so much richer than just that period. And, and what it's come to mean within the, you know, the media and, and, and within the establishment in both the six and 26 counties, like, mm. I guess, you know, I, I'd, I'd be hugely interested myself in that kind of dissident and radical Protestant tradition probably going back to the English Civil War as opposed to just 1798 and just them fundamental like ideas of the likes of the Diggers and mm-hmm. Winstanley and yeah. things like that where you're talking like just how the idea of liberty of conscience mm-hmm. while such you know taken for granted nowadays like that that seed at the start of republicanism is, is just hugely powerful and i think still is and i think looking back to that movement that emerged when it first emerged in ireland in in in, in the 1790s like i think there's a huge amount that can be learned from that and equally going through the 19th century to looking at the Fenian movement, like if you look at the Fenian proclamation in eighteen sixty seven, you know, one of the lines in it is like arguing for the complete separation of church and state. Um it's an internationalist document. It's calling out towards the working men of England who we bear no ill will to, etc. etc. So I think and I'm kind of going off on a little bit of a tangent oh, here, but I think when we're talking about move towards unity our our campaign around the new republic is tied into these these much older traditions of republicanism as mm. not a narrow ideology or associated with one tradition or religion or another but mm. an inherently particularly in Ireland an inherently Irish ideology 
that was uh, spread across multiple religions. If we take the, you know, from Unitarianism, Presbyterianism, um, uh, across, you know, the centuries. And I think tapping into that in terms of looking forward is what really what Republicans need to be doing and reflecting on. So obviously there seems to be a kind of steam trend towards reunification coming. Mm. And obviously as Republicans as well um, in, in the main economy, we would see the border as the, the primary impediment of the development of, of Republicanism or a workers' republic. Mm. Um, but in saying that, we can see what's happened in like the last six to 12 months is where the establishment have firmly understood what way this is going. Mm. Recent demographic polls and census polls in the six counties have shown, you know, the, the, the inevitable and how it's coming. Now, there are some questions around identity and the amount of young people considering themselves Northern Irish as opposed to Irish or British. But broadly speaking, mm. the figures are all going one way and the establishment are beginning to understand this very clearly and understand that, yeah. you know, similar to probably the 50th anniversary of, of, of 1916 and 66, etc., that when these kind of things happen, they can throw up all sorts of unexpected forces and and, and, mm. and, and and political forces that they want to keep in their box. Mm. Um, and I believe that's what they're attempting to do at the moment. Like where we would have been very critical of the, the, the recent meeting in the tree arena there. Um, the, what was it called again? Ireland's future. future. Yeah. Yeah. Where you had like a broad kind of, section of establishment speakers interspersed with like one or two people from mm. you know the fringes let's say but very much getting on message that this is happening and we, we need to take control of it mm. as opposed to saying we need to be building for this in our communities we need a broad um, not an organisation a movement that is demanding that this is a once in a lifetime opportunity for you know, potentially real radical change. Mm, yeah. um, what we're going to see if that movement doesn't emerge, and it's not going to be Irigi on its own doing this, it's mm. going to need to be a cross-section of all sorts, you know, the language movement, political parties, trade unions, yeah. sporting organisation, cultural organisations that are demanding, here's an opportunity to, to rewrite a lot of things. Mm. If we don't, what we probably see is similar to the you know, the reunification of uh, Germany, which which ended up essentially in an annexation mm. of East Germany, where, you know, probably not uh, the time to get into the debate of the, 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 the pros and cons of the DDR, but certainly any of the positives, free education, mm. you know, uh, decent and affordable housing, guaranteed work, etc., all went out the window in the name of the free market. And, mm. you know, we can see probably the exact same happening here all the you know the things won by the british working class over the centuries like the nhs etc that'll be gone you know if the establishment here have their way yeah. that'll obviously be just opened up so we'll be having a 32 county free state um essentially if if, if it's not grabbed hold of and without you know i don't think 
realistically, Sinn Féin, the noises they're making, they're not overly concerned with what type of United Ireland it is once it's united, I think. And, and, and that's not me being sectarian. It's just none of the noises I hear are talking about a radical reimagining of, of what our country should look like in yeah. our nation. Yeah. It seems much more diluted and willing to accept and almost play on the, the the economic successes of the 26 counties within the free market and within the European Union as a model that could bring prosperity to deprived, you know, mm. PUL communities and areas in 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 in, uh, in the north. So, yeah, I I I think we need to start that conversation. Obviously, I repeat, look, we're we're a fairly marginal sized party on the left. We have no electoral electoral representation. I think what we do have is is huge media presence and the ability to shape narrative somewhat um and, and which which is what we'll be attempting to do on this but it's not gonna gonna happen by you know uh, a small small group on the left it's gonna need to be a broad movement and we're more than willing to play our part in that but it, it's it's a movement that needs to define itself as you know reimagining what Ireland might look like you know there's a, a kind of almost religious-like belief in sections of the Republican movement that, you know, the Republic was established in 1919. Yeah. And that's that's the only Republic we need. Mm. I think as a Marxist, you know, you, you have to understand that a hundred years has happened in sense, since then and that, you know, everything that's happened it means you have to deal the material conditions as they stand, not as you wish they would be, or mm -hmm. you know, no, I don't, I can't see anyone building a time machine anytime soon to go back to nineteen ninety, or nor would yeah. you, you know, like yeah. in terms of the progressive movements that have happened since then, you know, mm -hmm. from divorce, yeah. marriage equality, you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. So, like, we certainly wouldn't have, you know, while the nineteen nineteen document. The democratic program and, and equally any of the documents are, mm. of of the republican you know movement would be extremely important and be inspiration to us we certainly wouldn't have ourselves held to them in the 21st century and yeah. going forward really without building that broader movement what mm. we'll be looking at is is more the same but bigger i think let's get a bit older in hindsight like you know if you're if you're not kind of putting your politics proudly out there like you, you, people almost assume it belongs in the shadows or or off the mainstream where fundamentally republicanism think it, it it is a mainstream ideology it has been for over 250 years in this country it shouldn't be in the shadows or or, or kind of uh, hiding away in the edges of politics you know Thanks for uh, taking the time to talk to us, Nicky. Yeah, thanks a million. Absolutely fantastic. I know, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. So, really, really. Thanks a million. Hey, Colonel, I'm